We are looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which was taken from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sins atoned for. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as we broach the subject of who is, who is like our God, Father, I pray that in this time that we have today that you will give us a glimpse of who you are. You're holy. You are mighty. You are awe-inspiring. You never change. Your love is eternal for us. Your love is abounding. You're gracious. You're kind. You're patient. You're also just. And Father, as we come around your word this morning, would you speak the word to each and every one of our hearts and lives, into each and every circumstance of our lives. You are omniscient. You know everything there is to know about us. So Lord, would you come now through your Holy Spirit and would you speak into each and every heart. We claim this time for the Lord God Almighty and we pray the protection of the blood of Christ over the word of God and just declare in this place that this is your time, Father. May glory and honor be brought to your name and to your name alone. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1995, 1998, somewhere in there, um, my, when we were living in California, we flew to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. where I, I was from Wisconsin. That's the upper Midwestern part of the United States. And if you grow up in Wisconsin... Um, American-style football, you are a Green Bay Packer fan or you are nothing. I mean, so growing up as a kid, that, that was what I was. And then when we had kids, we instilled that same thing in their hearts that this is the American football team that you're going to root for. But we lived in California. And so they, the kids would see the, the Green Bay Packers on TV once in a while. But when we came home to Milwaukee, my, my kids said, Daddy, can we go to Green Bay where the Green Bay Packers play and just see the stadium? So we drove on up there, and as we're driving up there, we came into Green Bay. And Green Bay is not a a large city, not like New York or Los Los Angeles, any of those. It's it's, It's not a large city. And as we're driving along, there's Lombardi Avenue, and there's another road here. And all of a sudden, from the back of the car, one of my sons yells, Daddy, stop the car! And I said, what's going on? He said, there's the Packers right there. Turns out they were in minicamp. And the Packers, it was like, from me to Pastor Stan away. There they were. They're heroes. There was Brett Favre. There was Reggie White. All these guys that they'd only seen on TV. And they just sat there, and it was absolutely quiet in the car. The first time in a long time that it had been quiet. When was the last time that something totally arrested you? That like Isaiah, you said, woe is me. I have seen the Lord. And when we talk about God, as we've been talking over these last several weeks, we've been, we've been asked, asking the question, answering the question of what's the most important, or what, 
answering life's most important question. And we've been talking about who is Jesus. But today I want to I stop, and this is the last one in this series, and talk about who is God. And as we look at God, as we look at his word, his word says in Exodus chapter 15, and I'm going to change things up just a bit for us. Whenever you see the word Lord in capital letters, all capital letters, that is his name. Whenever you see the word Lord with capital L and smaller case letters, that's his title. So when you read the name, and when I learned Hebrew, we were never allowed to pronounce. When we came across that name in Hebrew, we were never allowed to pronounce it. It was so, it was so holy to them, we weren't allowed to pronounce it. But what I'm going to do, how I'm going to change things up this morning, is I want to use the name that the Lord gave when Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? Because this is what it means. It means, I am that I am. And so when we read this, when you see the word Lord, all in Lord, I'm going to change that up today. And Exodus 15, 11 says, Who among the gods is like you? Oh, I am that I am. Who is like you? Listen to this. Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders. Our first thing that we want to see is God, God is majestic in his holiness. Whenever we want, whenever in, in English we want to uh, emphasize something, on my computer, I may underline it, I may highlight it, I may put it in bold, I may italicize it. I don't know what you do in, Philippine, in, in, in Tagalog, I don't know what you do in Putunois, or what you do in Cantonese to make something, uh, or whatever language you're working with, to make something emphasize. But in Hebrew, whenever they want to emphasize something, they repeat it. And in, in all of Scripture, only one thing is repeated three times of God, and that's His holiness. You saw it there in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When it talks about the holiness of God, when it talks about God, it doesn't say that he is love, 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 which he is. It doesn't say that he is gracious. It doesn't say that he's merciful. Of all the things that it wants to talk about God and who he is, he says that he is holy, holy, holy. When it talks about the holiness of God, what that means, it means different from, other than, when I look out at you guys, I see people from India, I see people from Africa, people from the Philippines, people from the United States, people from New Zealand, everywhere, all over. On the outside, we look different from one another. But on the inside, we're, we're, we're pretty much all the same. So that when a doctor goes and he opens up, he doesn't have to say, okay, I need the manual on this guy. He says, I don't, I don't know where his liver's going to be, I don't know where his kidneys are. No, on the inside, we're all the same. Not so with God. God is totally other than us. And when it talks about, about God and who he is and his characteristics, the main one that he brings out is this one. Holy, holy, holy is the I am that I am, Lord Sabaoth, the Almighty One. When it speaks about God, that's who he is. And, when it's, and in addition to him being holy, he is awe-inspiring. Look at what Re- Revelation chapter 4 uh, verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It is interesting, in our bodies, the way in which God created our bodies, I was listening last night to a message Ravi Zacharias was preaching, and he said, In one strand of DNA, one strand of DNA, there are over 638,000 different things in that one strand of DNA. You fold that strand of DNA one way, and the hair is red. You fold it another way, and your hair is black. All that information contained within the DNA, and who created that? 
God created that. There are stars out in the universe Billions upon billions of stars. And when the Hubble telescope went and looked out, the farthest it could look out into the universe, what did it see? It saw more universes upon more universes out there. The Lord God Almighty, He is awe-inspiring, is He? And when we will be with Him for eternity, it's never going to get old, will it? When I was in the Philippines in 1984, right towards the end of our time, we were down in Zamboanga, Zamboanga City. Some of you know where that is. We're in Zamboanga City. And we went out to a little island called Santa Cruz Island. And all the water around Zamboanga was really brown. But as you got farther out on this boat, you know, it was just a little putt-putt boat. You know, putt-putt-putt-putt-putt. You went out to, the, out to this little island. And when you got out to this island, the water, you could see all the way down, absolutely crystal clear, white sand beach. And I thought about the guy who drives this boat every day, takes tourists out there to that little beach, Probably the first couple times, it was really, really fascinating. I was like, man, oh man, what a beautiful place. But after a while, ah, it's just a job, put, 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 as you go from one place to another. Listen with God, it's never going to be a time where, oh, okay, it's just another day. We will continue to know about God. He is awe-inspiring. He is holy. He is a God who is worthy of our worship. Amen? Is he worthy of our worship? He absolutely is. He is awesome in his majesty. Look at what Jeremiah. We don't often think of this. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22, look at what it says. Should you not what? Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should you not tremble in my presence? We don't often think about that, do we? There are times where we cavalierly go into the presence of God. But watch this. Every time that someone meets God, what, where, what is the posture of them? They're on their face before them. When Isaiah meets God for the first time, what does he say? I'm ruined. I, I, I'm undone. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And when John, meets, when John meets Jesus in the book of Revelation, where do we find John? We find him on his face. When Daniel meets, when Daniel meets the pre-incarnate Christ, where is Daniel? He is on his face before God, the posture. And when we come before God, there's a posture. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And there is a posture that we should have. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? And he says, should you not tremble in my presence? As we come before God, how do we come before him? Is it with a cavalier attitude? Is it with, God, you owe me this. God, you need to listen to me. Or is it with an attitude of humility? He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. When we sing the hallelujah chorus, or when you hear the hallelujah chorus at Christmas time, when they sing, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, one of the things that, that you should do and that, that I love to see happen is when people stand. They stand when they sing the hallelujah chorus because he's worthy. He is worthy of our worship. Look at what else it says in Psalm chapter 99. It says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord, for the I am that I am, our God is holy. Is he worthy of our worship? Hey, let me ask that again. You guys sound like you've been at the sevens last day. Is he worthy of our worship? Absolutely he is. Our heartfelt worship. God says those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. He is worthy of our worship. Not only that, Moses had the audacity. had the audacity in Exodus chapter 34. He said, God, show me your glory. 
Show me your glory. Let me, let me go back to that passage because there's a, there's a couple of verses there that I want to catch. But up on the screen, you're going to see verses 5 and 6. But Exodus chapter 34, Moses says this of God. And uh, let me get the scripture, verse 5 and 6. It says, it says in verse, verse 5, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him in, and proclaimed his name. The Lord, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses. That's an interesting word. When it says that he passed in front of Moses, do you know where you see that happening again? You go to the New Testament. And when the New Testament, when the New Testament, um, the, when they translated the, New, the Old Testament into Greek, that's called the Septuagint. When they took that word passed in front of, when Jesus passes, remember when he's walking on the water, and it said he was about to pass them by. It's like, what's up with this? I'm going to get to the other side before you guys. No, no, that's not what it is. He is hearkening back to here. When he passed, when God passed in front of Moses and he proclaimed who he was. And look at who it says he is. I Proclaiming the I am that I am. The I am that I am. Remember, it's talked about there twice. He says, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. God has shown, him, shown us there who he is. Let's look at that really quickly. It says that he's compassionate and gracious. They're pa- paired together. Lamentations 3, and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God says, can a woman, can a mother forget the child at her breast? And he says, even if that is possible, I will not forget you. See, I have carved your name on the very palms of my hand. In 1971, when Ravi Zacharias was still working on his, mass, on his, uh, doc, on his doctoral work, the Christian Missionary Alliance, the domination of which we are part of, asked him to go to Vietnam for four months to do uh, evangelism there in Vietnam. When he, got to, when he got to Vietnam, he talked with Shar and Woody Stemple, two of our missionaries in Da Nang, and he said, I need an interpreter. I need somebody who will go around with me. And they said, we have just the guy. His name is Hang. And he said, Hang works for the U.S. government, for the, for the soldiers that are as a translator. He said, he's only 17, but his, his knowledge of English is amazing. He says, this is the guy that you want. So for four months, they traveled the length and breadth of, of South, uh, South Vietnam. They were in prison camps. They were in hospitals. They were in, in, uh, um, among soldiers. They were in churches all over the place that he preached for four months. At the end of the four months, Ravi, he hugged Hain, didn't know if he would ever see him again. Now fast forward over 20 years later. Ravi Zacharias got a telephone call, and he says, Brother Ravi. And Ravi said, the minute I heard that word, Brother Ravi, he said, I knew who it was. And he said, Hain, how are you doing? He said, Hain, what happened to you when Vietnam fell? And he said, it was not good. He said, when Vietnam fell, he said, I was arrested because I worked with the American soldiers, and they took me to concentration camp, and they wanted me to, to get all of the, all the Christian teaching out of me. He said, so day after day, night after night, all I heard was Marx and Engel, and he said, night after night, he said, they were just blasted on the, on the loudspeakers. And he said, there came a point in my life, he said, where I wondered, have I been duped? Have I, have I been lied to? Is all this stuff about God? Because I pray to God every single day and my situation doesn't change. He said, maybe this stuff about God isn't true at all. And he said, from this day on, he said, I'm no longer going to pray. 
And the very next morning, he was called forward, and and the commanding officer said, I want you to clean the the officer's latrine, the officer's bathroom. And he said, Ravi, it was horrible. He said, it was so bad. And he said, I was clearing out the waste paper basket that was filled with the toilet paper. And he said, what caught my eye was a little piece of paper, and it had writing on it. And he said, I recognized it as English. And he said, I quickly grabbed it, cleaned it off a little bit, and put it into my pocket. He said, I didn't want anybody to see me taking this piece of paper. And he said, later that night, he said, I took that piece of paper out. And under my cover, he said, I put a little light on there. And he said, I wanted to see what the English writing was. And he said, and when I opened it up and I began to read, it was this. And what can separate you from the love of God? For I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus. And he said, God, I haven't even been 24 hours where I said I wouldn't pray to you any longer. And you proved to me that you are God. And he went back to the commanding officer and he said to him, he said, I would like to continue cleaning the latrine. And he said day after day he would look into the wastebasket and there would be another piece of the Bible. And Romans, it was the book of Romans, turns out the commanding officer had years before been given a Bible. And he was using that Bible as his toilet paper. But Hain, so, so hungry for God's word. And God brought him back to that place and said, you are not out of my love. You are not at a place where I don't know where you are. Shortly after this, Hain was released from the prison camp. And he got together with several men to build a boat because they were going to escape from Vietnam. Just before they were ready to escape, on the night that they were ready to escape, four Viet Cong soldiers came into, came into the room where he was at. And they said, we heard that you're going to flee the country. And he said, no, I'm not. And when they left, he said, God, I have lied to them. And he said, God, as hard as it is, if they come back, I will tell the truth. He said it was no more than a few minutes and they came back and they grabbed him by the shirt and they said, you are trying to leave, aren't you? And he said, yes. And he said, what are you going to do? Are you going to put me back in prison camp? And they said, no, we want to go with you. And they got out on the ocean and a terrible storm, terrible storm came up. And he said, Ravi, had it not been for those four Viet Cong soldiers, we would have died because before they were Viet Cong soldiers, they were fishermen and they knew how to use a boat. You are not far from the love of God. Did you, did you catch what it says here? It says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He thought he was in a place where God, you, you, can't, you, uh, you, you must not be here. And I don't know where you are at today. I don't know what has happened to you. I don't know how the rug may have been pulled out from underneath you. But the steadfast love of the Lord for you never changes. It never changes. You may do things that grieve the heart of God. You may do things that quench the Spirit of God. But God's love for you will never, ever change. Amen? Amen. Let me get a drink here real quick. In addition to this, it says not only is he compassionate, but he is slow to anger. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, it is interesting, because not only is the Lord, not only is he, um, is he compassionate and gracious, but he's patient. But that patience, hear me well, that patience has a limit. 
It says, he is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There will come a day when God's patience will end. There will come a day when God's wrath will be poured out. I don't know where you stand with Christ this morning. For some of you, you came here and you've been coming here for a number of years. Many of you, I don't know yet. I don't know your story. But you've been coming here for many years, but you have never taken that step of praying to receive Jesus Christ. It is the mercy of God that he continues to have patience with you, sharing with you week after week, day after day, his love for you. But if we choose to reject Christ and he returns, we choose to receive what it is that we've, done, we've asked for. We say, there's no way. A God of love would never send anybody to hell. That's right. A God of love sent his son. What we deserve God gave to his son, what God gives us in return is his mercy. And if we choose to reject the mercy and the love of God, we receive within us what? The wrath of God. If you don't know Christ, my heart's cry is that today would be the day that you choose to follow Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The patience will come to an end at some point. Well, not only is he patient, he's abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 136, verse 26, says this, Give thanks to God, to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. 1 John, chapter 1, verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. God's love endures forever. God's gracious love, He's, he's abounding in love. And when it talks about that word for love, abounding in love, um, I'm trying to find the word, oh, it was back to, but when it talks about it, that He's abounding in love, the word in the Hebrew there is chesed. And it is a love that's it's his faithful love. It's a love that doesn't end for us. His love for you endures forever. He loves you right where you're at. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to continually keep moving towards him. In addition to this, he's forgiving. Look at what Psalm 32, and this is the New Living Translation. Psalm 32 one says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. When God forgives sin, how, what does he do with the sin? It says that he chooses to remember it no more. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. How are we doing on that? Because for some of us, we got a tally sheet. We know exactly on what date somebody did something to us and how they hurt us for that. Have you forgiven that person for that? We're called to forgive as in Christ we have been forgiven. God, when he forgives, he chooses to remember it no more. Not only that, the scriptures also say that he chooses to remove it as far as the east is from the west. In addition to that, he says he casts it into the depths of the sea. What God is saying there is when he forgives, he chooses to remember it no more. Amen? God is forgiving. God is patient. God's love is abounding towards us. He's compassionate and gracious for us. In addition to this, and I finish with this, Psalm, or 1 Chronicles chapter, uh, excuse me, Psalm 29, verse 10. It says, The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. 
He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. There was never a time when he wasn't God, and there will never be a time where he isn't God. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 to 13, David is speaking here, and he says, listen to all what he says about God. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. And in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. That is a powerful verse. That is a powerful testimony about who our God is. And verse 13 says this. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Who is God in your eyes? We talked about the most important question you will ever have to answer is this. Who do we say that Christ is? But I think in addition to that is answering this question. Who is God? He is worthy of our worship. He is holy, holy, holy. He is a God who loves you eternally. He is a God who is gracious. He is a God who is kind. He is a God who is patient with you. But he is a God who desires worship from us. It was John Piper who said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Why do we do, why do, we do missions? Because God is desirous for worshipers. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? Because you don't come to church to worship. You come to church worshiping. Your life should be lived in worship towards God. In the things that you say, in the things that you do, in the way that you treat your husband, in the way that you treat your kids, in the way that you treat your wife, in the way that you treat your employees, the way that you spend your money, the things that you think about. It's all to be worshiped before Him, isn't it? And this morning, as we finish out this series... We've gotten a glimpse of who Christ is. We've gotten a glimpse of who God is. And we're going to spend eternity with them. And this morning, I want to to play that one song that we started out this series with, Is He Worthy? And we've heard this song once. You can go ahead and sing along with the song, too, if you would like to. And then when we get to the end, I want to come back to this issue of where you stand with Christ. We've been looking at this now for five, six weeks. And for some of you, you've never crossed that line and given your life to Christ. The patience of God will come to an end at some point. And are you ready to meet him? And as we hear this song, is he worthy? He absolutely is. Let's watch this song. Worthy. You are oh so worthy of all of our, of all of our praise, of all of our worship, of all of our love. God, I pray that in our hearts, that you would begin to cultivate within us a spirit of worship. That, God, you would begin to move in our hearts in ways that, God, we know it's you. Lord, would you you show us your glory? Would you show us who you are as you move in the midst of our lives in this week? Lord, for some of us, we have given up hope. And just like Hain, we think that, God, you can't be around anymore. And yet you are. God, I pray in very real ways this week that you will reveal yourself to us, that you'll speak directly to our hearts through your word, and that, God, you would help us to worship.
to worship you in spirit and in truth. If you came here this morning and you say that I don't know Christ as my personal Savior, and you would like to today make that commitment to receive Christ, what I'm going to ask you to do is this. When we rise for prayer at the end of service, if you just come up here, and I want to have a word of prayer with you very quickly, okay? Father, thank you. Thank you again for this time that we could gather together to worship you. Would you take us now into the rest of this week and what it is that, God, you have in store for us? We don't know, but you do. But, Lord, would you be the one that gives grace so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we would abound in every good work. I pray your precious hands of protection over this, over this flock. I pray for those who are on holiday right now that, God, you'd watch over them as well. But God, take this congregation and let us, Lord, be a congregation that takes the light into a very dark world. I pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Would you stand as we pray as our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the grace and the mercy and the love of our Almighty God, would you go today and would you know his blessing and his love. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.